Good morning, church. Today's reading is Matthew 1, 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was or found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Okay, hey, well, thank you, uh, Connor. Appreciate that. Hey, if you're a visitor with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. We're starting a brand new series today. We're calling this series Everyday Christmas. Now, the reason we're calling it that is we're going to actually look at the Christmas story through the lens of four different rhythms that we should believe, we believe should be a part of every follower of Christ, a rhythm like every single day. So these are daily rhythms, and the premise of today is simple. A life void of prayer is a life bankrupt of God. A life void of prayer is a life bankrupt of God. In other words, a prayerless life will almost always bring a godless life. A life without prayer equals a life without God. What what I want you to hear today is that it is impossible to have intimacy with God without a daily rhythm of prayer. And therefore... Uh, every follower of Christ should be uh, growing in their prayer life should be the the first priority for every one of us in the room now when it comes to the Christmas story this rhythm of prayer is foundational I mean just as it's foundational to the story that you're telling with your own life in fact for thousands of years Israel had prayed for a Messiah. And the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, was the answer to thousands of years of, um, of prayer. And what we're going to notice today as well is that each of the characters in the Christmas story uh, had a vital prayer life, which is precisely why they were chosen by God to be part of that story. So this story, uh, the story of Christmas is lathered, it is saturated, it is bathed in this thing called prayer. And that means that one of the calls of this Christmas season when we think about the, the manger is that we don't approach the manger with our feet, we approach the manger with our knees. So rather than just kind of tease out a few verses within the Christmas story, the way we're going to do this today is we're going to zoom out 
And we're going to take note of how each of the characters in the Christmas story prayed. But before we do that, a couple of other things. But before we do that, I want to address a couple of other things. Uh, so first, we, we got to talk about the purpose of prayer. Because if we're not on the same page as to what prayer's purpose is... Um, yeah, we're just dead in the water before we even start. And if we're not clear on the purpose of prayer, some of us are going to get discouraged. So let me kind of tease that out. So a few years ago, I was having lunch with a friend, and we began to have a conversation about prayer. And here's what he said to me. He said, well, you know, I've tried the prayer thing, but it didn't really work for me. That's what he said. And so I kind of said, well, tell me about that. And so he said, well, you know, I've asked God to do stuff for me or maybe to do stuff for my family or maybe to do something for a friend or somebody that I love or care about. And, um, you know, God really just hasn't, um, he doesn't always, you know, follow through on that. And so I just kind of quit doing it. And so um, the reality is this, that the purpose of prayer is far more substantive than just trying to get God to do something for you or, or to get God to bless you. See, the purpose of prayer is intimacy with God. In prayer, listen, we learn to love God more than anything that we might get from God. Like in prayer, we learn to love God's face more than just what his hands can do for me. See? So prayer is more than just getting God to do things for you. It is, it's, the, it's the essence of a relationship with God, with intimacy with God. Prayer is, before it is anything else, keeping company with God. And the downside, right, is at Christmas time... Our lives ramp up. They get busier. They don't get slower. And so in a season like that, you know, prayer can kind of get pushed aside, right? Because there's Christmas gifts and lights and parties and wrapping and cleaning and entertaining and all the things that we do at Christmas. But here's the reality. Here's the danger. If prayer is not foundational to what we do, um, every single day, if it's not, uh, if our days aren't bathed in that, then we will go, we, we will go, we'll have all the trappings of Christmas. I mean, all the beautiful things, all the lights, all the presents, all the things. Um, but you, we'll go through Christmas without Christ. And this is why some of you get to Christmas afternoon and you feel so tired and empty, because you're doing the trappings of Christmas without the essence of Christmas. Um, so, uh, so in a moment, we're going to look at how the characters pray. But I want to address one more thing as it relates to the Christmas story. So sometimes when people read the Christmas story or, they pr or preachers preach the Christmas story or we sing about the Christmas story, we have a tendency to anesthetize it and kind of clean it up, make it nostalgic. And I want to address this. So, for example, we sing songs like Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, all is bright, right? But the reality is when you, a careful reading of the scriptures, uh, the, the Christmas story tells us that simply isn't true. 
That's not what happened at all. The Christmas story is jolting. It's jarring. It is filled with people who have been disappointed, people who are stressed out, people who have been outcasts. It's filled with all kinds of people. And the Christmas story is just simply unsanitary, right? Jesus was born in a feeding trough for animals, in a barn with animals. And if you have animals in a barn, what else is in that barn? Yeah. See, that's what Jesus was born into. There is nothing calm. There is nothing sanitary about the Christmas story. Just like there's nothing clean about your story. And this is what is so meaningful about Christmas. Uh, So it was not silent, it was not calm, it was not bright. And so I've actually asked um, uh, Bree and Brandon to come and just help us really reflect a little more on this idea. So give them a listen. calloused hands and weary eyes. There were no midwives to be found on the streets of David's town.
Yeah, just, you know, we, the reason we set this up this way is we, we just want you to remember that the Christmas story is filled with real people, with real frustrations and real pains and real disappointments, just like every one of us, you know, in this room. And so as we hear them pray, you know, we can learn to pray like them and with them. So something that some of you may have never noticed before when you think about the characters, you know, we get to know most of the characters in the Christmas story uh, by the things that they say, but that is not true of Joseph. Do you know that in the entire Christmas story, Joseph is talked about, you know, we're told what he does, but he is never quoted. I mean, we know he talked, right? But in, in the Christmas story, he's never quoted. And so the story, you know, the angel appearing to Joseph in Matthew 1.18, it records the angel's words to Joseph in a dream, but we have no record of a response. We only know what Joseph did, and here's what he did. Look at verse 124. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel had commanded him. And this is what this means. It's so important to understand when you think about prayer that prayer is a two-way street some of us think of prayer as talking to God, and that is certainly true. But that's only half. That's only one side of the coin. The other side of that coin is that prayer is also a time for listening to God. God responds to our prayers. So it's talking and it is listening. See? It's uh, so prayer is one of the ways that I learn to recognize his voice. Now, when I talk about the voice of God, here's what I mean. I mean that God speaks in a still, small voice into our spirits. His spirit that lives and moves and breathes within us speaks to our spirit. This is usually, what this usually feels like or looks like is an unction or a prompting that you need to act on. So maybe uh, God will place a thought in your mind along the lines of, hey, you need to pray for that person. 
Hey, she needs a hug. Hey, he needs this, right? Whatever, those kinds of things. And then you have a choice, right? You can either act on that prompting or you can disregard it. You can shove it aside. Um, but prayer is where I learn to recognize his voice. But how do you do that? And this is so important. See, you can't hear God with lots of noise. You won't hear the voice of God looking at a screen. You won't hear the voice of God surfing the internet. See, solitude and silence are the scaffolding of the Christian life. You, you need to be silent. Now, how many young parents do I have? How many new parents do we have in the room? Not a lot, but some. So if you're a new parent or a young parent, how do you get silence in your house? Well, probably with one of those, right? That is the sweet sound of silence right there. And many a time, you know, we've put that. Why? Because we crave it. We just don't know it. We try to busy ourselves and stay busy, right? And in uh, 1 Samuel 3, there is a great story about the boy, a little boy by the name of Samuel. He's kind of a, a priest or a prophet in training, and he's being trained. He's, he was dedicated to God for that purpose by his parents. And so there's an older priest uh, by the name of Eli who's kind of training him in the faith. Think, you know, if you're, if you're a fan of Star Wars, think he's in Jedi training, right? That's really what he's kind of training for. And Eli is his Jedi master, as it were. And so one night, little Samuel goes to bed. Eli tucks him in, then he goes to bed. But uh, uh, little Samuel hears a voice. So he gets in, he goes to Eli, and he says, hey, what did, what did you want? And Eli says, I don't want anything. Go back to bed. So little, little Samuel goes back to bed. He hears a voice again. He goes back into Eli, and he says, hey, what did you want? And Eli says, I didn't talk to you, but he, he begins to get the picture. And I says, so Eli says to Samuel, I think God is talking to you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to bed, and if you hear that voice again, I want you to say, speak, Lord. Your servant it listens. Your servant is here. That's not an exact quote, but that's close. So little Samuel goes back to bed, and sure enough, he hears the voice a third time. And so he says, speak, Lord, your servant uh, hears. And for the first time in his young little life, God begins to guide, and God begins to lead him. But what I love about that story is he had to go through a period of learning, right? He didn't, when God spoke, he didn't know how to, he didn't recognize that voice. He didn't know how to, how to determine that it belonged to God. And that is true for all of us as well. And so a rich, vibrant prayer life is as much about learning to discern the still, small voice of God. God in our lives and it's critical that we do it and I think that's what um, Joseph teaches us he doesn't talk he just obeys and that's because he was listening he was processing all right well let's move to another kind of prayer we're going to move to mary so in luke's gospel mary is told that she's gonna you know she's been chosen by god to give birth to jesus the son of god 
And she, she has a lot that she says there, but we're going to focus on one line. This is in Luke one thirty-eight. Here's how she uh, responds to that. She says this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Some versions say it this way, may it be unto me as you have said. Now, that's wonderful, right? But here's the thing. A lot of times we don't see that through. See, that um, surrender to God, that, so that's a prayer of surrender that Mary, that Mary prays. And her surrendering to God is going to cost her so, so much. Let me give you some examples. A few months later, Mary is going to have to ride on a donkey, for, on, the, on the back of a donkey, for over 50 miles in the third trimester of pregnancy. She's not going to give birth in a clean hospital. She's going to give birth in a barn. She's not going to have any medication or anesthetic to, do, to go through that with. She's just going to do it, right? And then... 30 years later, that mama bear is going to have to look up at a cross and she's going to watch her son be nailed to that cross and there won't be a thing she'll be able to do about it. Not a thing. Her mama bear wants to, but she will be helpless and she will watch that son that she raised and that she breastfed she will watch that son expire and die and she'll have to watch that as a mom I mean every mom's worst heartbreak see well here's what I want you to see it's not just that Mary prayed some quaint sweet little prayer that prayer cost her something and you need to know that. And so to help us think about prayers of surrender, I've got a few props. Anybody recognize what this is? Yeah, it's like the white flag, right? So what does one army do when it, when it wants, needs to surrender to another army? It waves the white flag. Some of, us, some of us, we need to wave the white flag when it comes to God and our relationship with God. There's some area of our life that we need to surrender to him. And so we need to be willing you know, to pray a prayer of surrender to God. Um, I'll, I'll give you another illustration of this. Check out your screen. Now, I know that you never actually do this when you see it. And don't act offended. I, you know, yeah. I know you don't do this, but, but it, it's a yield sign, right? Why do we have yield signs? Well, so that we, when, when we're yielding, what we're doing is we're giving preference to another person or to another driver. And so when we yield to God, we're giving him preference. We're acknowledging, God, my life is about what you want, not just what I want. And some of us need to learn to pray this way. We need to learn how to better pray surrendered prayers. And so let me just ask you kind of a question this morning. What, in, what area of, of there in, in your life that is there that you need to surrender to God? Wave the white flag. Yield, you know, to him. Well, let's move from Mary to the angels. So the angels who appeared in the sky over Bethlehem, they offered uh, prayers of what might be called praise or prayers for the glory of God, praise for who God 
is. And we need to learn how to pray those kinds of prayers. This is Luke verses chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So I would just invite you uh, this holiday season as you're meditating on God, on who he is and what he's done that you would respond with worship, with thanksgiving, with praise, and that we would become a people and that you would become a person and a family that realizes that I am here for the glory of God. I'm not just here uh, to glorify myself. I'm here for the glory of God. That's why he put me on planet Earth, so that I, so that I might be an instrument of his glory and here's my uh you know my praise it's like you go god you're number one you're number one you're number one you're number one god you are number one to you alone be all the glory we'd actually ordered a big hand i was going to put it on but it, uh amazon wasn't isn't now going to it was supposed to be delivered friday they sent us a message this morning and said well it's not going to be here till 10 o'clock tonight so, um, so you don't get to see that. You get to see a picture of it instead. But this should remind us, right? You know, hey, look, I use not number one. Purdue's not number one. Georgia's not number one. Alabama's not number one. No, he is number one. To him alone be all the glory. Prayers of praise. Here's another one. So shepherds, um, these were the outcasts of the Christmas story. The shepherds learned of Jesus' birth also from uh, angels, and they searched out the baby. In other words, they'd been looking for, they'd been waiting for uh, the birth of the, the Savior. And so in the Gospel of Luke, it says in, in chapter 2, verse 17, that once they, uh, once they worshipped the Christ child, then we're told they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So... Uh, uh, prayers like to lift up Jesus, to elevate Jesus. Jesus actually made a promise in the New Testament. He said, look, if you'll lift me up, I'll draw people, I'll draw men and women unto myself. And here's why this is so important. A lot of people don't understand the heart behind this. So Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories. And in the first story, well, let me, let me give you the context for Luke 15. So Luke uh, in, in early Luke 15, people are muttering, they're gossiping about Jesus because he's hanging out with riffraff. He's hanging out with sinful people. He's not hanging out with righteous people. He's hanging out with sinners. And they mumble and they grumble about that. And so Jesus tells them three stories, essentially to say, look, you don't know the heart of my father. You don't know God's heart for lost and wayward People. And so he talks about a shepherd that leaves the 99 sheep in the field, safe in the field, in order to go and look for the one wayward sheep. So the shepherd's willing to walk through thorns and thistles and uh, deep, uh, you know, woods and, and it just get messy and get dirty as the shepherd looks for this sheep that's wandered away. And here's the thing about that story that's so powerful. That is your story. That is my story. That is our story. There was a time where you were wandering from God, when you were lost to God, when you were living your life far from God, and God sought you out and brought you 
into the fold, back to the flock. He rescued you. And here's the truth about my story with God. God rescued me when I was running as fast as I could from him in the other direction. Because the reality is that's what our, our, the bend of our hearts is toward, right? We want to run from God because we want to be able to do what we want to do, not what God wants us to do. That makes us uncomfortable. And so uh, I ran from God, but God sought me out. And so see, uh, so the one is so important to God. And so let me just ask you a question. Who is your one? Who is it that you work with? Who is it that's a neighbor? What relative needs to be in a relationship with Jesus? They need a Savior. I mean, in the reading that Connor did just a few, more, uh, few moments ago, uh, Jesus was described as uh, the one who would s- s- rescue or save people from their sin, and not just from their sin, from their, from their very selves. One of the prayers I prayed this morning God, thank you for saving me, not just from my sin, but from myself. I don't like myself when I'm not walking with Jesus. You wouldn't like me if I wasn't walking with Jesus. My wife doesn't like me when I'm not walking with Jesus, right? He doesn't just save us from our sin. He saves us from ourselves, from ourselves. And so who in your life needs Jesus as their Savior, needs to be in a relationship with him? Because right now, they're navigating life and they're navigating Christmas apart from him, without his wisdom, without his love, without his guidance, without his strength. Who is your one? And here's kind of the way I want you to think about this. Everybody needs a one. Everybody does. You can't save everybody, but you can help be a, be a part of somebody's salvation story uh, in your little circle of influence. Who does that need to be? And so here's what I would say this morning. Pray for them. Offer salvation prayers uh, over them. I'm not saying pray in front of them, right? Hey, pray they get saved. No, don't do that, but pray for them. And here's a, here's a huge, huge deal. So a lot of us, so here's what I did in the first, in the early years of ministry. Somebody would like dump on me. They would say like all the things going wrong, right? This happens to you 50 times a day, right? Because people have problems. All of us have problems. And so when we bump into somebody else, we share those problems, right? Well, what I would always do is I would say, hey, well, you know what? I will pray for you. And then what would happen is I'd bump into them three, four, five days later and go, Duh! I forgot to pray for them, right? So here's what I do now. Somebody shares something with me, I say, hey, listen, may I pray for you over that right now? Let's just pray about that. Hey, God, would you help him? Hey, God, would you heal him? Hey, God, would you help this person to know your love? I mean, whatever's appropriate, right? But I I just pray for him right there. And I have heard story after story after story of somebody asking a friend if they could pray for them. And then when they're done praying and they look up, there are tears in their friend's eye. and, And they'll say something like this, nobody has ever prayed for me. Nobody. Do you have any idea how many people are in your life and nobody has ever prayed for them? Well, God's going to call you into that. 
So, you know, pray prayers of salvation or or prayers of pre-salvation with people. Learn, just grow your confidence in, you know, praying for other people. And don't, don't, don't just tell people that you will pray for them because you're going to do the same thing I used to do. You're going to tell them that and then you're going to walk away and you're going to get on with your life. And God wants better than that from us. And he wants more than that for us. But that's a way we can pray. Kind of here's another one. This is, um, and we're going to talk more about this one next week. But there are prayers of serving. Just the willingness for God's people to put a towel over their arm uh, so that we might show grace and favor to other people right? We serve them. They're a serving prayer. So Matthew's gospel records the journey of the magi, right, to the manger. And we're told this, on coming to the house, uh, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed, down, they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. What were they doing? They were serving the newborn Messiah. They were enabling his family to raise him. They were providing at least a partial means for them to be able to do that. That's practical service, just meeting the needs of someone else, adding value to another human being. And so we can pray that, hey God, would you use me today? Hey, God, would you help me serve well everybody that I lock eyes with? Hey, God, would you make me willing to put a towel over my arm and get messy? Listen, people are messy. So we have to be willing to wade into their mess, you know, with a towel over our arm, right? And then... uh, a couple of lesser-known characters in the Christmas story I want to reference for a minute. So uh, one of the lesser-known participants actually happens uh, about a week after Christmas. Um, Joseph and Mary take the infant uh, Savior uh, into the temple, and there at the temple is a man by the name of Simeon. And um, he prays a prayer of blessing, a prayer of blessing. And here's what I want you to think of when you think about a prayer of blessing well let me read this first he says this he says sovereign lord as you promised you may now dismiss he's saying hey i this is the day i've longed for this is the day i've waited for i can finally die god because i know that here in this life is the savior of the world we've been waiting as a nation for thousands of years he's finally arrived for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations a light for revelation to the gentiles that's anybody who's not a jew so that's probably every one of us in the room. We are Gentiles because we are non-Jewish. And then he says, and the glory of your people Israel. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, here's what he means. Jesus was born a Jew. And so the light of the world is going to come from the Jewish nation. That's our Jesus. And so, uh, you know, that, that lifts up all the people of Israel because Jesus, uh, you know, was born to them, Right? And then we're told this in the very last verse. The child's father and mother mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. Do you know that you can pray prayers of blessing on people? 
Hey, God, give them favor. Hey, God, would you bless this? Hey, God, would you bless that? Hey, God, would you do good things for so-and-so? Would you do good things for, for him? Would you do better things for her? I mean, just these prayers of blessing that we can pray over people. And here's the picture I want you to have of that. Yeah, prayers of blessing. Saying, praying for you, you know, prayers of blessing. And then one last kind of prayer. This would be called um, prayers of, and this is different than praise. Praise is more focused on God, on who he is, what he's done. Just prayers of gratitude, thanksgiving, that's also focused on God, but prayers of praise. Right after that, a woman, a prophetess by the name of Anna, right after Simeon prays his prayer of blessing, Anna approaches them, and here is what she says. Uh, it says, coming, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of uh, Jerusalem. And, and then she just uh, gives thanks to God. You know, hey God, finally, uh, the rescuer of humanity is here and in our midst, I've laid eyes on him. There's just great thanksgiving. And here's the picture I want you to have of that. Just a, just, a thank, uh, just a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Um, and so here's a question. What can you offer up to God? Because listen, so often we focus on all that's wrong with our life. And we need to grow and we need to get better as a church and as a people and as a community about focusing on what is working and what is right in our lives. So what is it about your life that you could offer up to God right now in this moment and just go, God, I'm so grateful for that. I want you to just think, Holy Spirit, would you just bring that to mind right now? Yeah, just prayers of thanksgiving. Now, listen, these are not the only way to approach the manger on your knees this holiday season, but there's some ways that you can. And, um, you know, you're going to want to, yeah, just kind of as you're trying to create a daily rhythm, an everyday rhythm of prayer in your life, uh, those are some ways you can do that. And here's why that's so important. Because you are probably not going to have a nice, quiet, clean, sanitary Christmas. You're probably going to have moments where you're going to be stressed out, where you're going to be overwhelmed, where you're going to be disappointed or discouraged or outcast or not feel like you fit in or whatever. Your Christmas is probably not going to be calm and bright. And so guess what? You are going to need your Heavenly Father through all of that. So as you do Christmas this year, do it under the watchful eye of your Heavenly Father. Do it inviting Him into it. Do it with a life and a story that you are bathing in prayer. Your family needs to be saturated in prayer. So, you can do Christmas on your own. And good luck with that. Or you can do Christmas with God. And prayer is the gateway to that. So let me pray for you and for us. Well, Popeye did my best. 
God, would you take that and uh, would you change our lives because of what we've heard today? Would you change our families? Would you change our marriages? Would you change our children? God, uh, change our lives, transform our lives with what we've heard today. Make us, help us be a people of prayer. And we'll give you all the glory. And it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, one of the things we're privileged to do together every week, every the first week of every month, and that happens to be today, is to take communion together. Uh, communion's a time where we remember our Jesus, where we remember what he's done. And so I'm going to walk you through how we do that. You're going to notice that uh, in the back and here in the front, we have little tables. We want to invite you to get out of your seats and come forward or backward on these two uh, side aisles here. And then once you get the cup and the bread, you're going to come go back to your seat down the center or down the far sides of either room. Or when you receive the cup and the bread, you can come and you can even just kneel right here at the altar if you prefer to do that. I know it's not really an altar, but for our purposes today, it's an altar. Uh, and so you can come and you can just um, offer your, you know, your heart and life to Christ right here at the altar. But here's what I want you to do. When you collect the cup and you collect the bread, hang on to those. Because um, we're going to worship for a few moments while everybody gathers theirs. And then I'm going to come back up and I'm going to prompt us. And we're going we're gonna to remember our Jesus together because there's such power in that. And so let me pray one more time for us just that we would remember Jesus well together today. Let me do that. Hey, Lord Jesus, as we uh, eat the bread and drink from a cup together, God, would you help us to remember you well? God, uh, you know, the bread symbolizes your body that was offered up, the blood, the, the cup, the blood that was spilled for each and every one of us in the room. And so as we take it, give us grateful hearts. And we just want to remember together that you are here now in the room, working and moving by your spirit. And we just acknowledge that together. And again, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so now come and receive the altar is open.
given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's remember our Jesus together and in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Once again, let's remember together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May you come, Lord Jesus.
our life forevermore, and we are grateful for that. God, we stand before you as people who once deserved and were destined to death. And then you sent your son and you lived among us and you taught us and you healed us. And you said, whoever follows me will not perish, but live forever with me. And then you died on that cross and you took upon you all of our sins. We can stand before you as imperfect people and yet free with the promise of eternity and a promise of the day when you will return and you will take your sons and your daughters to a place where there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more tears. There's just joy and jaw-dropping, overwhelming presence. You, Father, we look forward to that time. And so, God, until then, we thank you for prayer. God, we thank you that we can know you intimately. So God, would we become praying people in this community so much so that the lights that cannot help but come out of us would change this community. We commit that to you. We ask you to help us, Lord. And together we say we love you. Say that to him, church. We love you. In Jesus' name we